the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode 192, recorded Friday, April 24th, 2015. Wireless 4K. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us this week is Scott McGarrigal from Utility. How are you, sir? Hello. Doing great. Thanks, Tim. Scott is the co-founder, president, chief technology officer, and everything for Utility. So, uh, Actually, I met, I met Scott and a bunch of the Utility guys uh, and gals uh, at Infocom last year. Uh, at the uh, at the tweet up we had, so he was very nice mm-hmm. and very kind to, yeah. to come by and say hey. So, uh, real quickly before we get started, uh, tell folks what Utelogy is and and kind of what you guys do. Well, Utelogy is a software based uh, AV control and management platform. So what we do is we take um, not just the control of devices in you know any any classroom or whatnot, but it's it's really a software based uh, AV platform. Oh, looks like someone is joining us. Mm-hmm. That's Melissa. <laughs> Hi, Melissa. But keep, keep. Um, yeah, so what we've done is we basically turned control from a box to a software application. So Utelogy lives on the server, a centralized server that supports, you know, uh, uh, an enterprise group of rooms. Um, and so it's configurable. It's it's. You, you add devices to it, so it's very. It's what we call software-defined AV, by taking um, our solution and then configuring it. You actually are creating a, a system that can not only control the room but also monitor it. And there's a lot of intelligence. Uh, there's a cloud-based platform that supports all of that. So in terms of gathering analytics, you know, and, and you know, common thing is lamp light, but we go way beyond that in terms of tracking usage. Um, tracking outages and errors or just health of the system, you know, daily reports here, the room's up and running. There's built-in help desk. Um, so just a whole plethora of services that really what we're trying to do is change the way that people approach AV control. And it's not just a box with a button anymore. It's really a smart application that's network-based and tied in with services in the cloud with remote support, that whole whole thing. So there's there's a lot in the Utelogy platform, but basically you think of it as control management and analytics and, and the ancillary services that, that are part of it. Because, I mean, the one thing that we know about, you know, the AV world, I mean, hardware is always going to be there, but more and more, you know, like we're doing here today, it's software-based, right, software video conferencing. And so moving the whole control to a, you know, an IT platform, we're able to integrate and deliver a broader, deeper experience for the users through a software application type of approach rather than just a dedicated, here's your control system over here, and everything else that you use and do is over there. With software, you can tie it all together and provide that that single user experience, um, and not just for the user, but for the, the, the people that need to deploy it and support it and everybody. So it's, it's really kind of a, 
platform that brings all this stuff together. So that's that's my nutshell. <laughs> no, it, it, it works. But here's the thing, and, and, and this is something that, that we've talked about that that folks at SCN have written about, that you know, guys at Commercial Integrator have written about, and, and all sorts of stuff. You're you're taking the whole idea of of the ITAV convergence, which I, I'm not a crazy fan of that of that word, simply because mm-hmm. I think it's been overused in the last ten or twelve years. Uh, but you're taking that to to a whole different level and, and actually making the two kind of meet, um, which I think is kind of cool. So um, that yeah. and you know one of my one of my one of our good friends here uh, is doing a lot of work with you. So yeah, cool, cool, good for you guys. So yeah. Uh, also with us, uh, I believe, I hope at least, um, is uh, one of my favorite, if not my favorite. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, educator um, for uh, for AV stuff. Her name is Melissa Dillman, and she is with Kramer Electronics. How are you, ma'am? Uh, mute, unmute, ma'am. I'm good. There you are. How are you? <laughs> I made it. Yes. <laughs> I'm doing great. Uh, tell folks uh, a little bit if you've if you've never had Melissa in a class, what it is that you do for Kramer. Well, I am the director of training education for Kramer Electronics, so I develop and present all of the uh, education materials that relate to technology only. So I don't talk about products. Um, I don't teach on how to plug in and operate a switcher, but I teach all the mechanics behind it. Yeah, and she does uh, probably one of the, uh, a couple years ago, Melissa did a a session at the uh, Technology Managers Council and and did a very good job on on HDCP and and HDMI and just digital in general. So it was good stuff. So, alrighty, and, and just for those of you watching, and and I'm I'm a little bit you know crazed today. Um, the nice thing about AV Week is the fact that in just AV Nation in general is that all of us kind of work in the industry. The evil part about AV Week and AV Nation is the fact that all of us work in the industry and. <laughs> I had to shoot uh, my fine guest here an email, a quick email saying, hey, um, I'm still on site and I'm going to be a little late. So they have been very nice with their time and uh, very, uh, very accommodating. So I thank you both very much. All right, let's uh, let's hit this off. Uh, our buddy uh, uh, Ted Green over at Strategy. Uh, Sharp is expected to report 200 billion yen in losses. <clears throat> now, that sounds like a lot of money, unless you know how to convert, you know, yen to, to dollars. You don't know what that is. Roughly, you're talking about $1.6 Still a lot of a lot of money. Um, uh, Melissa, we'll, we'll start with you on this. I, what, I mean, Sharp, God love them. Uh, <laughs> they've been in a, in a dire straits for a few years here. Um, where where are they going? I just in general, and I don't. I don't we can have a, a larger conversation about displays in general, but where is Sharp specifically going here? Well, I think Sharp, um, like most of the other Japanese manufacturers, are uh, all heading in the same direction. They're getting out of the TV business. Um, not sure that they really have a choice but to get out of the TV business, given uh, the depleting revenues that they're seeing. Interesting enough, you know, Sharp, um, Sharp makes a lot of products, a lot of glass, obviously, but they do a lot of glass for the uh, automotive industry and for um, iPads and iPhones, etc. So really, I think they're going to have to change their business model, um, probably leave that consumer market. One of the interesting things going on right now with a lot of these guys is that they're actually 
licensing out their names. So I would expect to maybe C-Sharp do that, where they start selling their product, even though it's being manufactured by another manufacturer in Korea or China, but they use the license to put their name out there because people are more apt to buy it because it says Sharp. So I really think that's probably where they're going. They're going to have to make some serious changes. They can't continue to see these deficits um, in their business. Well, kind of like, uh, who is it, uh, Kodak and... Um... Um, a couple of other um, camera manufacturers have done the same thing when it comes to displays. Where, yes, you can buy a, a you know a, a, a Kodak uh, display or you know a Kodak camera, but it's not exactly made by them, which is a slight problem because eventually, if you do start doing that, then you know that that name quality will go down. So, uh, Scott, where do you think uh, Sharp is headed here? <laughs> well, um, you know, I specifically, I'm not really tuned into that but I, I can imagine that you know with it being displays I mean it's it's probably a result of the commodity uh, issue that you know how do you differentiate your display from the next display um, you know I think all the manufacturers struggle with that um, you know how to differentiate I, I can imagine you know there's always new technologies and you know, I'm not hip on what they are but you know I know 4k's coming out and that's you know maybe 3d and it's just this race of features, um, which you know that's a that diminishes the bottom line, right? The commoditization. I mean, unless you come really come out with something that differentiates you, and and so uh, you know maybe what what you know the strategy is. Yeah, they have to look at what other markets or how to position their products to be more unique uh, and a value than, than and less of a commodity. Um, you know, that's kind of what I see when I look at we. You know, we work with a lot of manufacturers in terms of controlling their stuff, and and you know, they're all good products, but they're all sort of the same. And there's there's some different features here and there, but but yeah, I think how do you, how do you you know make yourself not a commodity is is you know my my take on it, and it's you know it's a challenge, but it's good because it keeps us all innovating and, and coming out with the next best thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe they they will want to change their model or expand and, and do some some great things. Mm, absolutely. Alrighty. Uh, up next is from Liberty uh, AV Solutions, which you know, um, I like Liberty. <laughs> I've, I've used their product in the past, but they are a cabling company. So let's put that out there. Their blog this week says wireless rocks, but isn't infallible. Why cable will stand the test of time. Now, again, they are a cable company. So understand that going in. However, um, it doesn't completely, you know, dismiss the 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 statement um one of the things that uh that that i've i've struggled with as a as a consultant uh when i was in in in, uh, education and a tech manager um you know that was the that was the holy grail right i mean you you spend you know a couple months designing a new system and you're going into you know buildings that are x amount of years old at the college that i was at lewis and clark um, in, in Southwest Illinois, you know, the, those buildings were built in the 1830s, 1840s, right? So you're talking about, you know, 160, 170 year old buildings with plaster and all sorts of other, other, you know, challenges. So wireless video was the Holy grail. However, uh, it was not quite there. Um, so a couple of years before things like Barco's uh, click share with a few years before Kramer's, um, uh, wireless solution. Uh, so Mr. Scott, um, from your guys' standpoint, and you guys, you know, you rely on the network. 
Mm-hmm. Are, are, are we there yet with, with wireless video? Um, where uh, where it's it's stable enough to start using, or or you know, do we are we still going to keep relying on on wired video for a while? Yeah, I think wireless is not ready. Um, you know, particularly with when you talk video, which is high bandwidth. I mean, high bandwidth wireless video in a large setting where there's you know you know that's I don't think the technology is there. Um, you know, and and you know even from just lower bandwidth applications that have to be there. I mean, wireless, it, it, it's not, you know, that reliable. And we recommend for our customers that they have a hard connection into whatever device they're controlling. You know, that being said, though, I mean, who who really likes cables? I mean, you know, I mean, they're, they're necessary, right? But I think the essence of where people want to go is why can't I just have these boxes and using Bluetooth or whatever the technology is, whatever the wireless is, why can't they just talk? Why do I need to physically plug them together? So, you know, I think trend-wise and down the road, there's a, a, a real desire to improve wireless. And and so, you know, when you say, well, it stand the test of time, you know, depending on what that time is and, and who can predict that. But, you know, ultimately, I think we're going to see wireless because, I mean, all our customers and many applications like you just described, they really that is the solution. So I, I think the industry will eventually get there when, when that occurs, who knows, but yeah, so it's certainly more to go at this point. Uh, Melissa, you, I, I will be very honest. I've, I've been very impressed with Kramer's uh, solution for wireless. Uh, I've seen it at a number of different trade shows. The most recent was uh, was ISE in, uh, in Amsterdam. But, uh, you know, that aside, uh, or not that aside, but, but but that included, are we are we really there yet as a, as an industry and as a technology uh, where we can start relying on it? I think I think we're closer than we were by far. I think that um, we certainly at Kramer are demonstrating some great wireless technologies. Um, interesting enough, I believe that the four k movement is going to move us even closer to wireless than what we expect, which, Seems a little counter. Oh, look, it does. Seems a little counterintuitive. <laughs> but let's face it. The bottom line is, is that we're we're faced with challenges with our interfaces right now, and they're they're going to have trouble moving these signals. I believe wireless is going to be very critical. I think, uh, you know, would I want it necessarily in mission critical situations at this moment? Probably not. Uh, I would want that redundancy and backup. But if I were looking at doing new installations in the future, I'm looking real hard at wireless, and I'm certainly going to um, get as educated on it as I can. Okay, so explain this to me, because I'm, I'm, my brain's going 1,000 miles a minute here. You're saying that because of 4K, which we can talk about, and you and I are actually going to talk about in, in New York mm-hmm. next month, uh, at a, an event called Streaming Media East. Melissa's going to be on the on the panel that I'm moderating. Um how does how does how does 4K and, and we could talk about the different versions, but how does the movement to 4K kind of force, not, uh, make make wireless make more sense? Well, think about it. I can't get through the interfaces that I have right now. Yeah. Now, HDCP 2 dot is going to allow me to go and use um, wireless. It's encrypted, so they're going to open up that platform. Everything's going to come down to bandwidth. But if I can't get around the interface of using an HDMI 1.4, then wireless may be a solution. Okay, but 
then we're worried about and 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 correct me if I'm wrong on this. Then we're worried about the 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 data rate, not even I'm almost at the bandwidth, but that's people use that that term incorrectly. The 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 data rate and, and the data throughput that we're pushing over wireless. I mean, you're, if you get into into true uh, real 4K, whether it's you know four thousand or, or five thousand lines, you're pushing upwards of like sixteen gigs. Is is that right? And if that's so, then then where in the world are we going to get that kind of wireless you know capability? Well. I'm gonna leave that up to the wireless guys to figure out. Okay. I'm saying that I think uh, I think you're gonna get there. I'm not gonna say I'm gonna do it today, but I mean I can stream quite a bit, obviously. Um, I'm just saying that as an alternative to the interfaces that you have available right now, if somebody can figure out how to make it work, it does get you around that entire interface. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we're gonna go streaming 4K on a wireless device today. But um, that interface issue certainly opens the door to a lot of new products and new abilities. Yeah, I, I, I like that idea too because, I mean, in, in my world, uh, you know, replacing hardware, so if you look at the interface like it's an HDMI or this or that, wireless basically takes the physical form factor out of the equation and it's turned into just a whatever the wireless protocol is. So, yeah, the, you know, in, in the olden days with AV, you know, you had all your different signal types and does it fit in here and fit in there. And now it's kind of like ubiquitous with HDMI and I guess 4K is a different format or whatnot. But, yeah, wireless would sort of eliminate all that. So, essentially, you know, there's no form factor anymore for connecting devices. That would be huge. I mean, from, you know, it doesn't leave a lot of stuff to be plugged in, but uh, but in terms of interoperability and flexibility, I mean, yeah, that's, uh, that's some cool stuff. Well, and that also leads us into our, our next story, which is, God love them, Extron has come out with, with True 4K, um, which is an interesting, um, uh, it's an interesting effort, let's put it that way. Um, our buddy Mark Coxon kind of tried to, tried to sort of uh, make sense of it, but it, even he had a difficult time. Uh, he did talk with with uh, one of the vice presidents at Extron and, and try to get some some clarity here. Gary Kay wrote some stuff on on Rave's website. Um, first of all, there there are several flavors of of 4K, right? And you you at least got to applaud Extron for at least trying, right? Um, to make sense of it. However, there's some significant issues. With, with with the effort, um, Melissa, where where do you think Extron's going with this with this true 4K uh, movement? I guess is the best way to put it. Um, I applaud Extron for coming up with the, uh, hey, let's all get on the same page and yeah. let's report our numbers accurately. I'm going to give them kudos for that. I agree. I think that's great. Uh, problem being, as with most things with 4K right now, is one. Um, don't forget that 4K and UHD are not the same thing. Amen, sister. They mean different things, and I think that message was clearly misrepresented or um, confused. I think that uh, when it comes to the 4K, interesting enough, they throw a picture up there, and what's the picture of the connector? It's a one dot. Well, it's an HDMI connector, most likely a one dot four. Yeah. Right. So at one dot four, we know that it can't pass 4K. So I believe 4K right now is all about marketing. 
the hardware and the interoperability haven't caught up quite yet. It's coming, but I don't think it's there yet. All right, very good. That that'll that will work. Uh, Scott, do you want you have anything about about just 4K in general, or or uh, or the true 4K from Extron? Well, yeah, not from a technical standpoint. I mean, I I, I like the marketing remark because I you know it kind of goes back to my thing about how do you differentiate yourself. I mean, that's you know that's kind of the I'm soapboxy here, so forgive me, but mm -hmm. the the whole thing about standards, it's like this double-edged sword because we all want them and everyone wants to be compliant to standards, but yet they want to be different. So, you know, it, it, it you know, I don't know what Exron's doing with 4K. I mean, as, as a layman, I would expect if something says it's 4K, it's 4K and, and it all works with other 4K stuff. That's that's what we want as you know, consumers or implementers of the of the technology. Um, you know, but it, it, it does sound a little markety. I mean, it reminds me of kind of their Extron, Crestron, oh, our switchers are faster and let's have a s switch shootout or whatever. I, you know, I don't know, maybe <laughs> that's what's going on. But, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, let's deliver, you know, standards that people can use and know what it expects. And it sounds like there's some, some of that to be flushed out, and, you know, and, and then I'm sure there's a lot to the 4K protocol and all that that needs to be worked out. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, that would serve the industry is to really adopt a standard and, you know, I mean, it's the same thing in kind of the software world with, you know, web browsers, which we deal a lot with in our yeah. technology. They're, they're all standard, right, but they're all a little different. It's like, yikes, <laughs> why can't you just all be, you know, but then, you know, so that's that double-edged sword that, that I think they're you know, trying to, trying to, be be part of the game, but be different and, and better. So how do you position yourself? Well, it is. And the, and the one thing about we had uh, a Robert Heron on last week, and um, he, uh, he he has a site called Heron Fidelity, big time uh, display uh, expert. And even on his site, you know, he he mentioned the fact that there, he was talking about a display, and he made he made the the reference to 4K UHD, and uh, you know George Tucker kind of you know took took issue with that, in my opinion, rightfully so, because UHD is not 4K, right? I mean, you, you start getting into the quote-unquote 4K discussion, some people go down as far as, as 2K um, when they include that resolution. Then you've got the, the UHD, which is actually 3,000-some lines. Then you have actual, you know, 4,000 lines, and you have 5,000 lines, and so on and so forth. Um you know, yes, I, I understand the marketing part, and, and, and Scott, to your point, it, it makes sense for our industry. The problem is, we have so many industries that are kind of intersecting here when it comes to display resolutions. You have the CEA, right, which is the Consumer Electronics Association, which is the Robert uh, Heron's uh, rebuttal to, uh, to George's uh, comment last week, was the fact that the CEA actually has standardized on the term 4K UHD, that's what they're recommending people market as. Um, so, <laughs> so you know, standards are great, you know, but you're right that it's a two-edged sword where it can go both ways. Where if you standardize on something that's not quite, you know, accurate or true, then you've got mm -hmm. issues. So, uh, all right. Well, and I think there's yes. a lot that needs to be done regarding the education. Not only of our own industry, but of the consumer. I got a call the other day, and um, rightfully so, the integrators in the field trying to figure out what are the specs. It says it's 4K ready. What does that mean? 
And at the end of the day, you have to look at the device and see what are the interfaces. Oh, it has HDMI on it. Well, that tells you that you're not going to get 4K. You have to do the math, and you kind of have to do it in a backwards fashion. So um, I'm certainly out there teaching a lot about doing the math, and then you can get through all of the marketing hype because the numbers won't lie to you. Yeah, absolutely. Got all that. All right. Um, let's see if I can do this correctly this time. Uh, there it is. Hey, speaking of standards, mm -hmm. uh, and speaking of the CEA, CEA, CEDIA, and Infocom have all said, let's get standards on architectural drawings because that's what we need. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm being somewhat silly as, as, as a design consultant and, and person who programs and does this stuff. It's not a bad idea, right? Um, the one thing, and, and Scott, we'll start with you on this. Um, is this something where, you know, should, it, are these the organizations that should be doing this architectural drawing symbol standard? Or is it maybe, should we start inviting other folks when it comes to architectural drawing standards? Like, I don't know, the AIA. <laughs> you mean the architects? Yes! <laughs> Why, well, that would seem to make sense to me. I mean... Uh, you know, from what I've seen, I mean, you know, we all know the typical flow is that you're designing a building architecturally and then you're putting AV systems into it. So, so yeah, clearly it needs to, you know, conform or at least sync up with that. Um, you know, now if you talk about, I mean, there, I guess there's the architectural component of AV design, right? What goes where physically? I need plugs and jacks. But then there's also kind of the AV side of, of how do I represent different devices and network things. And, and maybe that's kind of not that separate from the architectural component. Maybe that's the way to do it is, is to find it in those kind of two worlds. And, and I apologize, I didn't read the article, so I'm not that's sure right. what they're talking about. Uh, but you know. It's not important stuff, just electricity and networking and, you know. <laughs> hey, they're just boxes and lines, right? Hey, man. Uh, Melissa, is this something where, where somebody, maybe one or two other organizations that maybe we can think of uh, that probably should be involved in this conversation? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I like the idea. Um, I did look at what they are making as their standard for, for their, uh, their icons. <laughs> Honestly, uh, I've seen a lot of icons. I've seen a lot of very nice-looking icons. I thought that's what legends were for. Um, I think everybody pretty much, you know, we stay pretty close, but read the legend. Um, I'm not sure that I really, I wasn't a huge fan graphically of the icons, but certainly some input from a couple other organizations would probably be very beneficial. Not to mention talking to the actual guys doing it. I didn't see any icons for Revit or any discussion of Revit, but I may have missed it. No, I mean, there, there's not. And that, that is another, uh, that's a good point, is the fact that, you know, some of these, you, you've got to understand kind of the workflow of the, honestly, of the, of the modern architecture firm. Um, there are a number, especially smaller firms, who have gotten away from AutoCAD um, simply because of, of the workflow of, of Revit. It's, it's a lot simpler. It's a lot easier. It's a lot faster. It's, 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 it's easier to be shared uh, across, you know, when you start talking about the different di disciplines. Um, you start talking to, you know, an electrical engineer or, or you know, an EE um, or a, an, an electrical contractor, and you're like, yeah, you, you, you know, what, what do you use? And a lot of times they just use PDFs or, or Revit. So, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Uh, one last quick one, real, real quick. See so if I if I can I can get this one up. Um, it, ISC was last week. In addition to um, it, ISC, which is a, a security um, trade show, ISC West specifically, um, and uh, it was in Las Vegas. A number of different things came out. Right. Uh, one was this whole big giant internet of things has cropped its head up again in security now uh the one question uh and and melissa we'll start with you on this are are we kind of at a point when it comes to internet of things where we can start taking this seriously now as far as you know not just with av but with control and with pushing audio and pushing video across these different honestly very different and very disparate um pieces of equipment and and hardware where are is internet of things where at the point where it makes sense to start designing with it, or are we kind of still a, a, a little bit off where we should we should shy away from from using IoT? You know, what I thought was really interesting out of this was um, that it's all concentrating on open source, mm-hmm. and that's really the downfall for the industry. As manufacturers, we all want to put our special sauce, give mm-hmm. it some proprietariness, so that you don't have that open source um, component. I know my higher education friends have screamed for open sourcing for a long time. I'm not sure how some of the control manufacturers can continue to be profitable if they go down that path. So I think it's really the big hang up. I love the idea. Wouldn't it be great if all of our products work together? But that's not the nature of the beast. Um, We've seen that time and time again. So I'm not sure the AV industry is quite ready for it from certainly a manufacturing perspective. I love the idea, though. All right, Scott, from your standpoint, are we, uh, uh, to, to Melissa's point, you know, are, are we at a point with, with manufacturers and, and software developers where we, we need to kind of, you know, hold our, hold our nose um, and start working on this whole standard and open source thing? Or is it, are we still at a place where we need to, you know, we need to keep some stuff back for your, for yourselves? Well, um, as a control system that's really interoperates with all this equipment from, from a control standpoint, I mean, I can tell you that it's a royal in the, you know, what dealing with all the various protocols and communication interfaces and, and, you know, so I would love standards. Um, you know, I, I know like, like CEC kind of defines some standard stuff, but you know, the question is when it comes to a device is the control interface, is that where the secret sauce is? Um, you know, in some ways it is cause it makes your product not replaceable by the next product. If, if, if everyone's got the same interface, now you're interchangeable. Um, you know, but that's that's kind of a I look at this is it's not adding value. It's it's kind of locking things in. But you know, I mean, when it comes to manufacturers, I, th- I think definitely having standard control interfaces. And there's been some work done, like you know, some projector PJ Link is a lot of those projectors use that standard protocol. Um, or you know, my other big pet peeve is devices come on the network. Um, there ought to be a, a, a ubiquitous discovery and configuration type of protocol. I mean, you know, depending on what the device is, you need to set its IP address. You know, you browse to it. Sometimes, or sometimes there's some special hoops to go through, and it's like, you know, 
I don't think that's the secret sauce. And yeah, if there's some way that that, that was more ubiquitous and standardized or, or whatnot, that would certainly make as integrators and deployers and consumers of this technology make our jobs a lot lot easier. And and we could then take our time and energy and focus on the real value add components and not just like, gosh, I gotta get this plugged in or make it work. It's like, hey, let's you know, focus on the user experience or the overall, you know, whatever it is. Um, so that's where I'd like to see things go. I mean, it's, it's a lot of work. I mean, defining standards is, you know, we talked about the double-edged sword, and there's probably multiple edges there, too, because the thing that, you know, like with uh, AMX has their beacon technology, which we support. I mean, and I know some other companies have kind of de facto, you know, adopted it. But, but you know, companies, they, you know, they, they take these open or these protocols that, you know, and, and they want to make them proprietary. And, and so, yeah, it's that, that push and pull. Is is that really where the secret sauce is? I, you know, a manufacturers, we're not, we're not an open source. It's not like here's our source code, but we're an open system like the rest of the internet and technology world. And, and this article talks about SNMP, which is actually an old technology for interoperability, but you know, but it's standardized, and they're looking to standardize that. And so, that that openness, I think, is good. So, can you keep your secret sauce, but make it easier to, you know, tap into? Well, and, that's, and, that's and, and here's I the thing: you 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 raise up on something, and again, you know, uh, my my job at at Innovat is is to you know manage a bunch of programmers, and that's one of the things I've been asking them for a long time is, you know, how are, how can we standardize on things? How can we make it, you know? A, not easier. I'm not looking for easy because that just sounds lazy. But I'm looking for consistent results, right? And maybe that's where where I want to go with that is is I need to be able to to take a look at a, at a program and say, yeah, you know what? If I use AMX or I use Crestron or I use you know Kramer or I use whoever, we're going to get pretty much the same results regardless, you know, of, of whose control system we use. Uh, yes, each one of them has their strengths and each one of them has their weaknesses. I'm not saying there's not differences there. But but if, if we have, you know, I, I can look at it and say, it's going to take me X amount of hours to do the same thing, um, regardless of, of whose control system we use. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just crazy. Uh, all right. Uh, that's going to do it for this week. Miss um, Melissa Dillman, thank you, ma'am, so much for, for being flexible and joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And and where can people find you and or Kramer? Oh, you can find us all over at uh, KramerUS.com. Okay. And I'm always on the training tab. So if you ever need me, that's a great place to find me. All right. And uh, I'm doing this because uh, I looked it up beforehand because we're going to talk about our booth. You can go to the Kramer booth at 3443 at Infocom uh, Show. Um, so you can check that. It'll out. be hard to miss this year. That is, I, I saw that. It's a very, <laughs> it's a very sizable booth. Let's just put it that way. Yes, it is. Yeah. So, uh, also Scott McArkle from Utelogy. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, and where can people find uh, find you or find more out about Utelogy? Uh, well, at our website, utelogy.com. Uh, U-T-E-L-O-G-Y.com. All right. Uh, and and his booth is four four six two. Uh, we talked about uh, a couple of his neighbors uh, off the air. Uh, for us and for AV Nation, go by the website, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. You will actually see Miss Melissa Dillman on one of the previous episodes of uh, AV Crosstalk. 
our, our, our debate show. Uh, so, uh, but if you're going to Infocom, a couple things uh, for us here at AV Nation. Um, number one is, is our booth. Our booth is number 6667, uh, which I don't, you know, depending on your religious affiliation, you have a problem with that. George Tucker, who's my, my resident agnostic, absolutely loves it. So, you know, there you go. Uh, and he looks like Anton LaVey, so, you know, you can take that for what it's worth. Um, but, uh, but 6667 is our, uh, our, our booth. It's in Hall D. Uh, we also have a tweet-up, uh, which we're going to be doing uh, in W223A, which is a, a little room that we've got. Uh, the tweet-up will be on Thursday of the show uh, from 4 o'clock until 6 o'clock. So stop by and say, hey, get some free food and drink and some network. That's actually where I met Scott for the first time at last year's uh last year's uh, tweet up so uh go by the website though avnation.tv avnation.tv thanks so much for listening thanks so much for watching this has been av week <laughs>